So as you guys know, what are, we, what are we in a series called? Rooted, right? Being rooted and grounded in, in, in the kingdom and what, what Jesus Christ redeemed us into, what he purchased us. He purchased us out of something and he put us into something. He, he took us out of the kingdom of darkness and we are now in the kingdom of his dear son. And um, we're currently looking at understanding our spiritual makeup. And this is so vital. This is so vital to kingdom living. This is so vital. This is the reason why so many people read the Bible and they say it's so, so hard to understand. is because they don't understand who they are spiritually. They read the Bible and they, they see that, that uh, as, Christ, as Jesus is, so are they in this world. And then they look in the mirror and say, man, if this is Jesus, he's pretty sorry. Because they're looking at the wrong spot. They're looking at their flesh. And we're going to be talking about the flesh a lot today because the flesh is, our, is the problem. Our flesh is the problem. God created mankind as a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. You are a spirit being that has a soul. That's your, that's your personality. That's your, that's your emotions. That's, your, that's where the mind is. That's where um, your conscience is. That's where f- your will is found. And you live in this physical, physical body. And uh, to be separate from the body is to what? Be present with the Lord. In the fall, the fall of humanity, the fall of man, caused us to be totally dependent on this natural realm. Darkened and spiritually dead. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, your spirit has come alive in him, and we are now one spirit with him, baptized into God. And I've said this a lot, but for those that haven't heard it before, I'm going to say it again. And for those that still, they still don't really believe it, it hasn't become revelation to, to them, I'm going to say it for our sakes also is baptism is not some just religious routine, religious obligation that we have to do. A lot of people think that you, you are saved by being water baptized. No. You are saved by the Spirit. You are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Water baptism is just symbol, it's symbolizing something. And you know, to baptize something, that word baptize means to dunk. It means to submerge. It, in, in, in the Greek, it would have been what they would have used when they were dyeing fabric. So you have a piece of linen. It's a piece of linen or cotton that is, that is white. But you want it to be purple, so you would submerge it. You would dunk it. You would baptize it into the dye, and the dye would come into the fabric, and the two would become one. That's what it was. when we, That's what it, that imagery of baptism, going down into the water, into Christ's death. We, we become one in his death, and we come out one in his resurrection to new life. You've been submerged, you've been dunked, you've been welded together with Christ. And Christ is welded together with God because he is God. 
you are one with Christ, you are one with the Holy Spirit, you are one with the Father through baptism into Christ, not the water baptism, that's just a physical representation of the spiritual baptism that we all received when we became new creations in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. So now we need to learn to renew our minds. That's our soul. That's, our minds are in our soul. We have to renew our minds to who we are in Christ Jesus. When we renew our minds to the point that we live out truth rather than just hearing, when we become doers of the word and not hearers only, we, we will ch- it will change how we live in the flesh. This is called walking in the Spirit. This is called living in the Spirit. In the Bible, the New Testament tells us over and over again to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. May this morning, may we put on the new man. May we understand who we are in Christ Jesus. May we walk out of guilt, shame, and condemnation this morning. May we have dominion and authority over our flesh. And may we see the victory that Jesus Christ bought and paid for us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We're supposed to be renewed by the spirit in our minds. And put on the new self. Did you notice something here? God didn't say, I'll put it on you. He says, you put it on. You put on the new self. You need to renew your mind to who you are in the spirit and put it on. Wear it. Walk in it. Live it. Which in the likeness of God, wow, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. You know, have you ever heard a preacher or pastor say, The word of God says, be holy, for I, your God, are holy. And whenever I heard that, and I read it in the Bible, even in the New Testament where where it says that, I always heard it as something, a command that we must do. Commanding us, live up to this. You're so unworthy, you're no good. Be holy, what's wrong with you? But what if we turned off our religious minds for a minute and heard the voice of the Father? And instead of hearing a command, angry and mad, we heard, hey, be holy. Because I'm holy and you're in me. What if this is not a command that we are to attain this by religious hard work, but a declaration of who we are in Christ? The new man, your new man or woman, I don't know 
we're in a place where you can't say man and make it mean everybody anymore. I don't know the right pronouns. Anyways, the new man in the spirit is holy, righteous, and it's as holy and righteous as Jesus Christ is, as God. We don't believe this. You're agreeing with me right now, but we don't believe it because if we believed it, it would change every single area of our life. And I'm right there with you. I need to grow in this also. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But the one who joins himself, that's that baptism, joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. He that joins himself to the Lord becomes one with the Lord. You become one spirit with him. The Greek word that was translated one here is the word heis. Heis? I don't know. H-E-I-S. I tried to listen to how you're supposed to pronounce it. You pronounce it how you'd like to. And what it means is a single one to the exclusion of all others. Your spirit is one with the Lord to the exclusion of everything else. You can't get more like God in your spirit than you are right now. And for those that are saying, what are you saying, Chad, that we're gods? No. A God, God is not dependent on anything. We are dependent on God. Right? Jesus obtained an eternal redemption for us, and we are secure in him. We can have confidence in his ability to save us no matter what. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 it says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, and, and you really need to go yourself and read through these chapters in Hebrews because it's using a lot of imagery, Old Testament imagery of, of types and shadows in the past. And he, he was comparing the priests of the Old Testament that, that ministered in the temple to, to Jesus Christ. And, and we don't have time to go through all that. But uh, it says... But when Christ appeared as high priest of good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus Christ entered in offered his own blood once for all time. Do you know that that means that Jesus isn't constantly applying his blood? He did it once. And he has obtained eternal redemption. Not redemption until the next time you screw up. We have eternal redemption in Christ Jesus. But the problem is that we sin. Right? 
We still sin. I know. Oh, is it just me? We still do things that aren't like God. We still have thoughts that aren't like God. And what you have to understand is that you have not been redeemed from the verb of sin. You know what a verb is? We've got English class in here this morning. A verb is an action. We have not been redeemed from the verb of sin. We have been redeemed from the noun of sin. We were in sin. But we have been redeemed out of sin. Since you're no longer in, in sin, why would you sin any longer? We have been redeemed from the noun of sin, and by understanding this, you, that you are no longer a slave to sin, to the point, we need to understand this, that we're no longer a slave to sin to the point where we renew our minds, and when we renew our minds that we are no longer a slave to sin, then we will stop doing the verb of sinning. Most Christians believe that they have been redeemed by Jesus, but when you sense that somehow you lose your right standing with God. And there's all different types of extremes of this, right? Some of us have our own little checklist. If, if, if I do this, then maybe if I pray and read my Bible enough, then that will offset the balances. You ever felt that way? Or there's an amount of time that has to go by. I screwed up. I sinned. Now I need, there's a waiting period till God will, I'll be in God's graces again, that he'll hear my prayers, that, that I can come to him, that I can have confidence in him, that, that I can feel his love and his presence again. There, there are some extremes of this that say that every time you sin, you have to reapply the blood of Jesus Christ on your life. You have to repent. You have to ask for forgiveness and any, if you die with any unconfessed sins in your life, you'll go straight to hell. Bust it wide open. So that's not eternal redemption. That is not once for all time. There's all different extremes to this. There is no such thing as being born again again. You're either born again, you're either dead, or you're alive. You don't go dead, alive, dead, alive. I mean, some of you guys would have died half a dozen times already this morning. But religion is goofy like that. You're either alive in Christ or you're not alive in Christ. You're either a new creation or you're not a new creation. You are either lost or found dead or alive. Your spirit is either free or it's a slave. You are either light or you are darkness. If it's true that you can lose your salvation and earn it back, lose it and earn it back, the best thing to happen to you was it would be after you're born again that we would baptize you in a shark tank. It'd be better off for you to get born again and die. We could have people come up and get born again and someone come behind them with a hammer. Boom, boom, boom. 
We have obtained eternal redemption. Our past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. And if you're thinking, well, how can God, how can God forgive sins that I haven't committed yet? That's crazy. Well, you better hope that he can forgive sins that that you haven't committed yet, sins that are in the future, because Jesus Christ died for sins 2,000 years ago, and all your sins were in the future. And as I said, Jesus did not die for sins, the verb. He died for sins, the noun. Humanity's problem is not the fruit of sin, sin, which is our actions. The Bible calls it the work of the flesh, not fruit. But the root of sin, which is our identity and who we are in the spirit. And the biggest hindrance to the church today is is that we are not preaching the gospel. We're preaching sin. The biggest hindrance to the church becoming what God created them to be is the preaching of sin. This is probably new for some of you. Because you're used to sin. You're used to coming into church being told how no good you are, how unworthy you are. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with the, the same sacrifices which they offered continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered. That's a question mark there. If those sacrifices in the Old Testament could, could have made the, 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 the worshipers perfect, wouldn't they just wouldn't it cease to be offered? The answer would be yes, if it could, right? For then, would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purged would have had no more consciousness of sins? See, we see that Jesus entered in one time and earned eternal redemption. And he has ceased from sacrificing. But have you ceased? We sacrifice all the time. Some of us give of our time. We give of our money. We give, a, we give of, of we, we don't go places and do things. And not because of love, not because we're motivated by love and who we are in Christ Jesus. We do it because we feel that we need to sacrifice. See, the Catholics for a while there, and maybe some of them still do, they preached a thing called purgatory, where people that weren't totally secure in in God, didn't do enough, would go to a place, and they would have to work their way out of purgatory, or their loved ones could pay to buy them out of purgatory so they can get into heaven. See, most evangelicals, Protestants, we don't believe in purgatory, or do we? 
Purgatory is just here on earth right now. We got to earn our way to heaven. We got to do things. We got to grit our teeth and, and suffer in this earth so that one day we can get to heaven. If you truly understood what Jesus has done for you, you should have no consciousness of sin. You would not have a sin conscience. But that's all religion preaches. Every Sunday, you hear about how rotten you are, how you're just an old worm in the ground, that you're just saved by grace. You're a sinner saved by grace. You can't be a sinner saved by grace. You're either a sinner or you have been saved by grace. You can't be both. And some of you, this might be new to you, and I, I knew that this was going to be a, con the con a controversial one because your religious mind is going, T -t 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 -t. Oh, this can't be true. And the reason is, is because we're sin conscious. We feel unworthy. And because we feel unworthy and because we're sin conscious, and, and this sin consciousness is what hinders our faith. See, you don't doubt God's ability. We don't doubt God's ability. We doubt his willingness. We doubt his willingness because we're sin conscious. Conscious. That's why people want other people to pray for them. Andrew Walmack uses an example. He, he says, if, I, if, if we, he stood up and said, I believe that Jesus raises the dead, everybody would go, yeah, we believe it. Yeah, we believe it. And then if someone fell down dead up here, he says, well, I believe that God is going to raise them up. And they say, yeah, we believe it, we believe it. And they'd, they'd kind of come around. They want to see it. And he says, okay, if you believe it, you come up here and raise him from the dead. And all of a sudden, everybody's faith would turn to fear. Because we're sin conscious. See, we know us. We know us. And because we know us, we doubt God's willingness to answer our prayers. We doubt God's willingness. We, we lose confidence in God. And the truth of the matter is, is if you knew me <laughs> the way that I know me, you would have no confidence in it, in my prayers. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need not have confidence in us at all. Our confidence is in God. Our confidence is in the Spirit. Our confidence is in Jesus. Our confidence is in who we are in the Spirit. But we are so carnally minded. We're religiously carnally minded. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, by this, by this will we have been sanctified 
That means to be made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You have been made holy through Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They were shadows. They were images of the good things that were to come. But he, speaking of Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made his footstool for his feet. You know, Jesus is waiting on us. So many people want Jesus to come back. He's waiting on us. He's waiting for us to awake to righteousness. He's waiting for us to, the church to wake up. He's not coming for a defeated church. He's coming for a victorious church. He's not coming so we can escape from this present world. He's coming to, to, to bring his kingdom to earth. To make all things new. For by one offering he has perfected. What's, what's that word perfected mean? Perfect. You're perfect. He has perfected. He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You are perfect. You're perfect. Let's go back to chapter 9. Verse, uh, chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 13, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkle, sprinkling those who have been um, defiled, sanctified, for cleansing of the flesh, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Our conscience should be clear. We have been purged. We have been cleansed. We have been redeemed for all time. We have been sanctified for all time. We have been made perfect. The Christian religion is the biggest promoter of sin consciousness on the face of the planet. Because all we talk about is who we are in the flesh rather than who we are in Christ. And we need our conscience cleansed from the sin consciousness. Verse 15 and for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of the transgressions under the, under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of his eternal inheritance. We have eternal redemption. We have an eternal inheritance. If, the, if, if all the Lord was to do is forgive us for our past sins, and then pick us up, dust us off, you know, just pat us on the back and say, there you go, you're all clean, now you go try harder. That's not salvation. That's not redemption. That's not being, that, that, that wouldn't be no good news. Good news, you might do a little bit better, but we'd still fail. We'd still fail. We could try harder. How many of you have tried harder? That wouldn't be salvation at all. 
because we'd all blow it. But the good news of the gospel is that you have been cleansed of all sin. You've been cleansed of past, present, and future sins. You have eternal redemption and eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. Jesus was the sacrifice for all time, and, has, and we have been made perfect for all time through that one sacrifice. Jesus is the one and only one. This issue is that, the issue is, is that we, the issue is that you look in the mirror and say, this is perfect, this is holy, this is righteous. We look at our actions. Is this as good as it gets? See, we're carnally minded. So many people think to be carnal means to be sinning. I guess to a point, if you have a different thought about yourself than how God thinks about you, you're missing the mark. And do you know what the definition of sin is? To miss the mark. The issue is, is that we look to the flesh rather than to the spirit. This is why knowing your spiritual makeup is so important. Can you see that? This is why it's so important to know where you have been changed, where the new man is. The new man is in your spirit. Your spirit was born again. Your spirit is what was, was created in righteousness and pure holiness. Your spirit is as Jesus is in this world. Your spirit is joined unto the Lord, and you are one spirit with the Lord. Your spirit is, is and has been purged from all sin, past, present, and future sin. Your spirit is perfect. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 says, To the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Are you starting to see why they call the gospel good news? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, see the grace came, grace, and then faith. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been sealed. When you believed upon Jesus Christ, when you believed the gospel, the word of God is alive and powerful. The word of God is a seed. It, it took root within you and created a new creation in Christ Jesus. You were born of that incorruptible seed, the word of God. And the Holy Spirit sealed you. When you were born again, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit and you cannot sin in your spirit. You're, you are totally sealed. You're vacuum packed. That's good news. I mean, that's. Sh- what confidence would we have if we really believe that? I know we believe it this morning on Sunday, mor- on Sunday morning here at Karis New Testament Church. We believe it. We're nodding our heads. What about Monday? What about Tuesday? What about the rest of the week? What, what? You know, 1 John, 1 John 
supports this truth. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. See, that this is where people, if you don't understand your spiritual makeup, boy, you can read some of this stuff and think, man, I must not be born of God. Because I sin. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Where have you been born of God? In your flesh? No. In your spirit. You can't sin. You can't sin in your spirit. This is why we're supposed to be walking in the spirit. If you struggle with feeling unworthy, unqualified, that God could never use you because of your past, present, or future dealings in the flesh, your sin, let's put it this way. If you feel unqualified, if you feel condemned, if you feel shame, you are not in the spirit. You are in the flesh. And we preach people in the flesh every Sunday. We pat ourselves on the back on how unworthy and no good we can make people feel. That we can get them to the altars crying and begging God to forgive them. And it's all the flesh. Because you are qualified. You are holy. You are righteous in Christ Jesus. In your spirit. See, this changed me forever. This changed me forever. I don't know if any of you were there where, where you were born again and you were on fire for God and, and, and things were new and it, like new thoughts were coming into you. The world was brighter and shinier and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, you start working hard to, to live worthy of, of, of what God has done for you, and then you fail. And then you try a little harder, and you fail. And, and you're trying, you're trying, and trying, and, and pretty soon the fire kind of goes out because you're thinking, man, I, I don't even, if I'm saved, why am I having this issues in my life? Why am I having these problems in my life? And then you start questioning God, and you start questioning yourself, and you start, it's because you weren't saved in your flesh. You weren't saved in your mind. You were saved in your spirit. This changed everything for me. Understanding my spiritual makeup, and this will change your life also. Because I stopped trying, and I started believing I started, stopped working for something that I already had. You know, it, uh, I heard a story, I, I think it was Spurgeon or some, some, some pastor over in England. And they say it's a true story, I don't know. But it's a good point. He went to minister to a, a woman that was coming to the end of her life, and she and he went to minister to her and pray for her, and 
And uh, he went to her house, and it was just like a really, like a shack almost. And he, he went in there, and he was ministering to her and talking to her. And he looked, he looked up on the wall, and there was a certificate of legal document on the wall. And he looked at that, and he was reading it. And he says, where did you get that? And she goes, well, when I was younger, I, was, I, I worked at this wealthy man's home. I worked at this wealthy man's home. And when he passed away, he gave me that certificate. I, I love that man. And I, and I worked for him. And, and he, he, he was so nice to me that he, he thought of me and gave me that. And she, she couldn't read. And he, he says, do you know what that certificate says? You have a home with servants of your own. And it's waiting for you. She lived all her life in poverty because she didn't know what she already had. Christians, believers, children of God, what do we have? This can change your life. This has changed the way that you live. This has change the way that you see yourself. So you might be thinking, Chad, so are you say- what are you saying? That I can sin no matter what? What I'm saying is that if you sin, it doesn't affect your spirit. If it did, then what sin would change it? See, the problem is, is that in Christianity, we have big sins and little sins. We, it's all sin. I don't care if it's sexual perversion or it's telling a little white lie. It's sin. If, if we have, you know, we have stained glass in this church, and, and, and if, if someone shot a little BB, just a BB gun, through that window and just put a little teeny hole in it. Or they took a grand piano and threw the whole piano through the window, smashing it all to pieces. It doesn't matter. It's, the window's broken. Either way, whether it's a little hole or it, it's completely demolished. Sin is sin. There are not little ones and there's not big ones. You know, actually in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, has, he has become guilty of all. So you could tell a little white lie. You could be grin, uh, greedy or stingy or gluttonous. And, and, and it's the same as sexual perversion, lying, cheating, and killing. You're guilty of it all. If sin can cause you to lose your right standing in Jesus, then it would be better, you'd be better off to have someone kill you as soon as you got saved. But if you need a reason not to sin, I think we're all smarter than that. If you need a reason not to sin, here you go. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Some translations, King James says, God forbid. 
How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's a question that you need to answer. If what you call the gospel, if what you call the gospel, if what you heard about the gospel, when the gospel is preached, if it never made you question, so what are you saying? I can just sin all I want. I can live in sin. If you have never heard that, heard, some, heard statements in church that made you ask that question, you have never heard the gospel that Paul preached. Because four times he had to say, am I saying you, you can, that you can go and live in sin? God forbid. Four times he had to say that. And you need to ask yourself, have I ever had to ask the question, what is he saying? Is he saying that's all right to sin? And if you never asked that question, you've never heard the gospel. Four times Paul had to bring that up. And he says, God forbid. That's not what he's saying at all. That's not what he is saying, but it, it would be a logical question. If you are secure, if you're holy, if you're righteous, if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and that your spirit cannot sin and you are one with God, the logical question would be, well, then I can go live any way I want. If you're asking that question today, it means that you're finally getting it. Should you live and sin? May it never be. Here's the first reason. How should we who died to sin still live in it? Your born-again spirit is dead to sin. Your spirit does not want to sin. All it wants to do is glorify, praise God, and glorify God and love God. Your, your spirit, that's all it wants to do. Your spirit never wants to sin. So when you want to sin, what wants to sin? Your flesh. And if you are wanting to sin, what are you walking in? The flesh. You're not walking in the spirit. How should we who are dead to sin live in it any longer? If we could see ourselves as we are in the Spirit, we would live more righteously on accident than we ever did on purpose. Do you know that what do you know what makes you want to go live in sin? Believing you're just an old sinner. I'm just a drunk. I'm just a pervert. I'm just a greedy, lying sinner. And you resist, you resist in the flesh, you resist, you resist in the flesh, you try hard, you, try, you do all you can, but then you fail, then you fail, you come short, you do it again, you beat yourself up, and you think to yourself, well, well what can I expect? I am, after all, just an old sinner. This is what it means to mind the things of the flesh. rather than the things of the Spirit. 
we set our mind on the things of the flesh rather than the things of the spirit. If you would walk in the spirit, you would not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, rather of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? The first reason that you shouldn't sin and that it's not, is that it's not your nature to live in sin. It's not who you are. Your spirit does not want to live in sin. You, were de- you are dead to it. The second reason is that if you do, it gives Satan inroads into your life. It gives Satan inroads to your physical body and into your soul. Remember last week? Your soul, your body is not redeemed. We have a hope. That's the hope we have. Remember? I don't got time to preach that again. You're acting like you don't remember. Last week, get the CD. Last week, go online. Satan has no authority over your spirit, but you can give him authority in your flesh and in your soul through sin. And as I've heard it say, he's going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. Sin is dumb. Sin results in death. Death in relationships, in your marriage, um, in your finances, in your health, in our culture, and eventually your life. You're stupid. You're stupid if you live in sin. I've been stupid. You're stupid to live in sin, but guess what the good news is? God loves you, stupid. God loves you, stupid. You don't lose your right standing in the spirit with God, but it's stupid still to sin. Your flesh does not get stronger in the Lord. Do you know that? Your flesh will never get stronger in this earth. Your flesh will never get stronger. A lot of people think they need to discipline themselves. That they need to discipline themselves in the flesh and they need to get stronger. No, you, you, it will always, your flesh will always, always be contrary to God. It's connected to this world which has fallen. You will never grow stronger in your flesh. But we can get to a place where we no longer walk in it. See, that's the thing of it is. It's, it's not about, it's about causing your flesh to get weaker, not stronger. When it's no longer the ruler over your soul, your spirit needs to take its rightful position. And when your spirit takes the rightful position in your soul, in your mind, your will, your emotions, when your spirit is controlling that aspect of your life, then you will reign in in life through Christ Jesus. I'm not saying you should live in sin, but when you do sin, you can know that you, that it was just your flesh. It, that answers Romans 8 so clearly now. That war that's within you against the spirit and the flesh. You can know that, 
that was just your flesh and that your spirit is still pure in Jesus and God does not reject you based on your actions. God does not reject you based on your actions. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news to know that God will never reject you? So do I believe in once saved, always saved? Is that what I'm saying? Is that what I'm preaching? Is that what I'm proclaiming this morning? Nope. And if you want to understand that, you'll need to show up next Sunday. But what would your life look like? What would your life look like if you seen yourself the way that God sees you? What would this church, what would this community look like if all the churches in this community seen themselves the way that God sees them? If you really believe that you are righteous, if you really believe that you were holy, that you were pure, that you have eternal redemption, that, that you've been sanctified and perfected forever, that you don't have a consciousness of sin, that you no longer had a consciousness of sin, you didn't see yourself as a sinner anymore, that just as Jesus is, so are you in this world. If we really seen ourselves that way, all doubt would just disappear and you would have the faith of God. But we have to choose to approach God in the Spirit. We have to choose to see ourselves in the Spirit. We have to choose, ourselves, choose to put on the new man. We have to choose to um, set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.